0: And it can start today with one small step. The journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. So they say. Today's uh, title for the message is Living in Christian Unity in the Christian Community. And no, I did not make that rhyme on purpose. It's just the way it happened. So two men are standing on a bridge. This is one of them AW jokes, just so you know. Two men are standing on a bridge, and one's about to jump off, and the other's trying to talk him out of it. And the man asks the jumper, so are you a Christian or a Hindu or a Jew or what? And the jumper replies, well, I'm a Christian. And the man says, small world, me too. Protestant, Catholic, Orthodox? Jumper says, Protestant. man replies, me too. What denomination? Jumper says, well, I'm Baptist." And the man replies, me too, Southern Baptist or Northern Baptist? And the jumper answers, Northern Baptist. And the man replies, Me too, Northern Conservative Baptist or Northern Liberal Baptist? And the jumper answers, Northern Conservative Baptist. The man replies, Well, will you look at that? Me too. Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes region or Northern Conservative Baptist Eastern region? He says, The jumper replies, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes region. The man replies, well, I'll be, me too. Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1879 or Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912? And the jumper answers, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council 1912. The man pushes the jumper off the bridge and screams, die, heretic! (laughs) Ah, you get that one on the way home. All right. We're back in the book... Of 1 Corinthians, and here we find that Paul preached the gospel uh, in the Corinth, uh, the church at Corinth in the early 50s A.D. on a second missionary journey. Now, there was a lot of opposition there, but there were many people in the city who were Christians, and so Paul knew that there was a ministry there, and he stayed on for 18 months. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. Now concerning things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing, yet as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. Therefore, concerning the eating of things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in this world. And that there is no other God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we for him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we live. However, there is not in everyone that knowledge. For some, with consciousness of the idol, until now... "...eat it as a thing offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. But food does not commend us to God, for neither if we eat, or we the better, nor if we do not eat, are we the worse. But beware lest someone uses this liberty of yours, become a stumbling block to those who are weak." For if one sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols? And because of your knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. But when you thus sin against the brethren and wound the weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, there are many things which have no eternal value that we can disagree on and yet still be brethren. Lord, forgive us where we have made mountains out of molehills and molehills out of mountains. We want to make sure that we're rightly dividing the word of truth as we apply it to our lives daily. So Holy Spirit, we ask that you would guide our consciences... You would show us the way. And God, as I stand here, I thank you for these, your people. We're here to worship. We're here to love you. We're here to hear your word preached and proclaimed. Lord, we just ask, as we can sense your power, that you would bring them in from the north, the south, the east, and the west. You said the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And so pray to the Lord of the harvest. And Lord, we pray. Send in the workers. Send in the harvest. Let us see people saved and made new and growing in their faith in this building, in this place. The building is nothing. It's about people, Lord. And we want to see people changed. We want to see communities changed. We want to see our community in this area changed. And so, God, we stand at the door and we knock. Lord, we just receive from you all that you have for us and all that you will give to us, Lord. Help us to make disciples, not just converts. In Jesus' mighty name, the strong Son of God And the church said, amen. Hey, did you know it's okay to disagree with other Christians? so long as it doesn't compromise the gospel and that we are sensitive to other people's consciences. First of all, it's okay if Christians don't agree on certain things. First Corinthians 8, 1 Corinthians 8.1, and I'm going to read out of the New Living Translation because I think it gives us a, a little bit different perspective on that. And it says, Now regarding your question about food that has been offered to idols, yes, we know that we all have knowledge about this issue. But while knowledge makes us feel important, it is love that strengthens the church. Anyone who claims to know all the answers doesn't really know very much. But the person who loves God is the one whom God recognizes. So what about eating meat that has been offered to idols? Well, we all know that an idol is not really a god, and that there is only one god. There may be so-called gods both in heaven and on earth, and some people actually worship many gods and many lords. But for us, there is one God, the Father, by whom all things were created and for whom we live. And there is one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things were created and through them we live. There is in this life certain things that Christians must have discernment about. We must be able to understand and and be able to look and say, that's right and that's wrong. The example here that he's using is about food that's been sacrificed to an idol in their temple. Now it could be easily applied to other areas of modern Christian life as well. I'm by, no by no means am I a legalist. I don't have a three-piece suit and a tie on this morning, but Paul will say later Excuse me. Paul will say later in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 23, all things are lawful for me, But not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. And we know that love edifies. What are some some controversial things in the times past, in modern history, that that people have railed against, but now we don't talk much about it. Because in and of itself, it's not sin. First of all, let's go back to the beginning of the 20th century. Radios. Now, preachers used to, used to say you shouldn't have one because there's nothing good on them. And then, a little while later, we got TV. And, and just as radio started to become accepted in the churches, preachers used to say you shouldn't have a TV because there's nothing good on them. And when we look at what's on TV today, I'm tempted to say the same thing, to be honest with you. And not from a necessarily a sinful perspective, but it's just garbage. How about credit cards? Oh, in the 80s, I loved that. Oh, that's going to lead the way for the mark of the beast. And now just about everyone in here has a debit card, don't you? How about the way we dress? Oh, you can't wear jeans to any church function. So-called holiness preachers would, would take our dressing and how we, how we dress to the extreme. Yes, you should be modest in your dress. No, you don't have to wear a three-piece suit and tie. Someone once said, brother, do you think that women need to wear makeup in the church? And my response is, because I'm a smart aleck, I don't know, does she need it? If so, wear it. Oh, how about the worship wars? You remember that? That was uh, the 90s. Don't you bring that new contemporary prayers music in here? It ain't holy. Well, does it exalt Christ? That who cares if it has a beat? Oh, it got really bad when they started introducing drummers in church. Ooh. Now, it may not be up my alley, but it might be up someone else's. And they like it okay. You know what the interesting thing is that's happening today, though, is that the next generation that's grown up on nothing but contemporary worship, oh man, they're starting to hear the hymns for the first time. And you know what? They love them. And they want to bring some of them back. And you know what we're hearing now from those that love their contemporary worship? Don't bring those hymns back. We just got rid of them things. They're old. They're boring. Does it lift up Christ? Does it cause people to worship? Then leave it alone. And my favorite, which I will never understand, because when you look at it, you're like, okay. The King James only translation. Wait a minute, let me get this straight, just from a perspective. You're going to ask people who can't understand the words of Shakespeare to understand the King James. That's what you're telling me. Most people today can't even read past a 5th grade level. Did you know that? Most things are written at a 5th grade level. It used to be 8th grade, now it's 5th grade. But you're going to ask them to read at a King James level, which is now considered a college level? You know what else they say? Well, that's the anointed, holy version of God. The inerrant translation. Let me tell you something. There's no such thing as an inerrant translation. There is such a thing as an inerrant documents in the original languages. But you know what they say? If King James was good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. Believe it or not, I've heard that. That, that just comes from ridiculousness right there. You just open your mouth and go, you can't be serious right now. Listen, did you know that there are some errors in the translation of the King James? They used what's called the Textus Receptus, the manuscript that it was based on. Today, we have better manuscripts that are a lot older and a lot closer to the original Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic that the text was written in. Does that mean that every translation is great and free from errors? Far be it. No, that does not what it means. And that's why we study from multiple translations. And when possible, we even go back to the original languages. Back to the way they thought. Back to the way they spoke. Are there some translations we should stay away from? Oh, you better believe it. Just because they're that bad. I personally am not a fan of the the so-called gender-neutral translations. Have you seen these? Um, One of them, believe it or not, is the New International Version from 2011. Not the 1984 edition. 2011. And Lifeway just came out with one not too long ago, a few years back, called the Christian Standard Bible. They touted it as an upgrade from the Holman Christian Standard Bible, and it is not an upgrade. You know what else is a just dumpster fire? And yes, I said dumpster fire in church. You know what else is a dumpster fire? The Message Bible. Translated by one guy going through whatever he... If he didn't like it, he just changed the word. I personally use New King, New King James, New Living Translation, New American Standard Bible, 1985 edition the Holman Christian Standard, and the Berean Study Bible. Those are my main Bibles that I go to. All translations, did you know, are on a spectrum. You have the word-for-word on this side, and you have thought-for-thought on this side. Now, some of them are hard to read because doing a word-for-word in English, word order is messed up, because they didn't have the same word order we do. And they can even throw you off. Even mess up what you're reading in your mind. Now on the other end of the spectrum is that thought-for-thought translation. And the problem here is basically the problem with the message. You get that person or team of people's personal beliefs and prejudices in the text. That's a problem. Then you have everything in between. I like to stay closer to the word-for-word, where they just fix the order and the conveyance of it which is why I look at multiple translations when I study. But when I'm just reading, you just read the Bible. You ever just done that? You didn't feel like a Bible study? You just want to read? I like to read from the Berean standard because that's closer to word for word, and yet some of the word choices there are interesting. Not heretical, doesn't change anything we believe, but it's interesting. It reminds me of the New King James in a lot of ways. So there, so there are some things that, that must be discerned. We have to study. We have to understand. And there are some, some things that are debatable, sure. But does that mean that on all of these issues that your way is the best way? Just because I like to study a particular way doesn't mean you like to study. Maybe you speak Greek fluently. Ancient Greek from 2,000 years ago. That's awesome. Give me some of your insights. I like it. Maybe you know Hebrew. Give me some of your insights. I'd like to hear it. But we need discernment. So what is the standard in these issues? What can we look to and say this is the standard when there's all these issues out there? Love is the standard. He said it right in the scripture. Love edifies. Hey, you want to know something fun? I can worship at a King James only church. I can. With brethren that I believe are wrong on that issue. And I can prove it from Scripture and logic and reason. But if that is where the consciences of them are, I'm not going to condemn them. Scripture says it is love that strengthens us, not fighting. Colossians 3.14, above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. 1 John 4.8 says, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. 1 Peter 4.8 says, most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. And remember this, if you claim that you have all the answers in all the situations that are being debated upon in Christendom. Don't go around pushing your so-called freedom in these matters on others. Nor should people push their personal convictions that are not outlined in Scripture, that are not obvious sin, on you. It's especially true with a lot of the KGV-only people. They get angry if you don't agree with them. It's like they get stuck on this one issue. It's a broken record. For younger folks listening by podcast or anybody else, a record used to be this big vinyl thing made of plastic. You'd put it down and it had a needle and it played music and it would spin. And they had 45s too. Maybe CD is more your style because they spin too. I don't know. Bro- like a skipping CD. What can I tell you? In a situation like that, I asked them, go to the front of your Bible." Anybody who wants to argue with me about the King James... ...go to the front of your Bible. You ready for this? Let me tell you something. Look at the copyright. If you have a pure King James... ...did you know that the KJV is out of copyright? But not out of print, number one. I think we knew that. Number two, most of the King James versions that are out there... ...will say 1789. So the King James Bible, which they claim is inerrant from 1611 is not the same Bible that they're reading on a daily basis. It's been updated in 1789. Number three, as far as the King James goes from 1611, there were five different translations that were called the King James. There was even a his and a her edition. So which one? Now these are all the things they don't know or they won't listen to you about, but... There you got it. If you want to argue with me, I'll argue with you from history on that point. I don't even have to go to your manuscript and get all technical. And number two today, when we look at these things... ...that are not gospel problems, not gospel issues... ...they don't take away from the deity of Christ or the humanity of Christ... ...they don't take away from salvation... ...when we look at these things... We do need to be sensitive to other believers in those areas because it's not a gospel issue. Be sensitive to other believers. 1 Corinthians 8, 7. However, not all believers know this. Some are accustomed to thinking of idols as being real. So when they eat food that has been offered to idols, they think of it as the worship of real gods. And their weak consciences are violated. It's true that we can't win God's approval by what we eat. We don't lose anything if we don't eat it, and we don't gain anything if we do. But you must be careful so that your freedom does not cause others with a weaker conscience to stumble. For if others see you with your superior knowledge, eating in the temple of an idol, won't they be encouraged to violate their conscience by eating food that has been offered to an idol? So because of your superior knowledge, a weak believer for whom Christ died will be destroyed. And when you sin against other believers by encouraging them to do something they believe is wrong, you are sinning against Christ. So if what I eat causes another believer to sin, I will never eat meat again, as long as I live. For I don't want to cause another believer to stumble. When something's not an obvious sin, like what we find in Galatians 5.19, which says when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. These other things... These things that were listed, they're the obvious sins. Now, By the way, that's not an exhaustive list in there. He says that when he says the like, or in the New Living as we just read, and other sins like these. When what is going on isn't an obvious sin, then we have to use discernment and get counsel from other, wiser believers. If we're to err, let us err on the side of love. If a person's conscience says that they cannot eat meat to an idol, for example, but yours isn't bothering you because you know better and you know it's not a god, but a dead statue that brings no value, you still shouldn't eat that meat because you'll hurt the conscience of the other person. You may cause them to doubt their faith. They may see you as a hypocrite. You may shipwreck their life. You don't know what the effect will be. You really don't. Remember 1 Corinthians eight ten through 12 says, For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols? And because of your knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died? But when you thus sin against the brethren... And wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. You know, I've got an acquaintance who believes it's wrong for him to eat at any restaurant that serves alcohol. That is his personal belief. He believes Jesus put that on his heart. And guess what? He's a minister. And in his spiritual journey, someone saw him, I guess, eating at a place that served alcohol. And they called, called him a you know a hypocrite or it caused them trouble. So you know what? I don't invite him to a place like Chili's that serves alcohol. I don't conjole him and push him into it. Oh, you know better. If that's what his personal belief is between him and God, who am I to say it's not? It's not a salvation issue. You know what I do? I ask where he wants to go eat because that way I know his conscience is good to go. I used to know a guy who... um, God, for some reason, impressed upon him to give up TV for a while. Spend some time doing other things. You know what I didn't do during that time? I didn't talk about his favorite television shows in front of him. I found other things to talk about because I didn't want to be the cause of him breaking his fast of TV before God when God had impressed it upon him. Now, this was before they had the digital video recorders. So if you wanted to record something, you had to have a VHS cassette. Remember those? And there was no way for him to really catch up on anything. So I guess he felt like if it, has to take, if it had taken um, parts of his life from him to be in front of a TV at a certain time, and he found that more like an idol to him, let it be. Can people's minds change on these things as they grow in Christ? Well, sure. Does your mind change on things? Some of us will say no. Some of us say yes. Your spiritual journey is your spiritual journey with Christ. If it isn't an obvious sin, then leave it alone. We don't debate just to debate. We don't be confrontational just to be confrontational. We confront sin. We confront with the gospel. But when it's things that don't need to be confronted. Do you find yourself confronting people? When we do not take into account another person's conscience in these matters, then we can really cause that believer to feel they've sinned. And it'll put a hold on their spiritual journey, I'll tell you that. Maybe for them, God has asked them to fast or give up something that He hasn't asked of you. Let us never be the cause of someone stumbling in their relationship with Christ. Remember what James 4, 17 says. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. Let me give you an example. One of my mentors used to tell me that if you're going to church and you don't know the dress code, i.e. nobody told you how they're dressing, okay? Go in a suit and tie. And and that way, if they believe it's wrong for you not to wear a suit and a tie, then you're good. You're not going to cause any trouble in the church. However, if they're more free in that regard, then it's much easier to lose the jacket and the tie than it is to dress up when you get there. That's just common sense. Because if I'm going to preach, and I show up, and I don't know whether you like suit and tie or not, or if it's your thing, or you're not going to hear a word I say because you're worried about how long my pant hem is. I had that happen. I was preaching at a church and now I I was young and stupid just just so you know Um, I had boots on when we did the hymn line and I didn't wear boots when I went to preach I wore dress shoes so I had about that much showing of my sock not a single person on the Wednesday night Deacon called me later he thought it was funny he said you know when we talked about you on Wednesday, everybody's concern was, what's up with his hymn?" And he looked at him and went, "Did you hear anything the man said?" They all hung their head in shame. They were too busy worried about my hymn, in my pants than about the Word of God. Guess what? I threw that pair of pants away. <laughs> Now, uh, I probably could have. I didn't think of that. And there you go. Shorts are a good thing, but I wouldn't preach in shorts. Because, well, I don't know why. <laughs> it's just not what I do. <laughs> Again, debatable topic. We'll talk later. I know of a youth pastor who wears flip-flops when he preaches in a pair of jeans. But then again, I just chalked that up to him being a youth pastor. You know, they got to be hip and trendy. Now, 24, 25 years ago was when this, this was given to me, this bit of wisdom. Um, today, it's not really a big, weird, big, big deal pretty much anywhere you go today uh, about wearing your good clothes. You remember, you had your good clothes for Sunday to church. Now, in some circles, that was a big thing then, not so much today. Those circles have become smaller, fewer as time marches on. Um, but you know what? Again, it's okay to disagree with other Christians so long as it doesn't compromise the gospel and that we are sensitive to other, other people's consciences. For example, if I'm out at the beach, and we used to do this in the 90s, if I'm out at the beach... And the preacher is out there, but he's wearing, you know, what, what, they, what they used to call them things without the, I don't know, I always referred to them as wife beaters, but that's a really bad thing. Uh, under, undershirt, whatever, for men. We'll call it that. Um, I know. For a guy? Take top? Okay, we'll go with it. I thought that was a woman thing. I'm sorry. (laughs) But any muscle shirt. There you go. There you go. Ah, for me, it'd be a belly shirt. But, you know, Uh, anyway, um, but if he's out there and he's wearing that and a pair of shorts and flip flops, that's appropriate. In my opinion, he's at the beach and he's preaching. That's appropriate. But if he's out there in a three piece suit and tie, everybody was looking at him. They don't care what he says. He looked crazy. Sweating out there in the Florida sun. Three-piece suit and tie. Crazy, man. You see how these things are not really got to do it or you're going to die and go to hell kind of thing. You know what I mean? But we used to be there as, as a Christian community. And we need discernment. As the ladies come, you heard me, you heard me say, if, if it's a gospel issue, then yeah, we're going to do something about it. But if it's not, we're not. So what is the gospel? In its simplest form, it is this. Jesus Christ, born of a virgin, lived 30 years, and for three years after that, did signs, wonders, and miracles, which proclaimed Him the Son of God, the second in the Trinity, God in the flesh, died on a cross for a debt He didn't know. He died for my sins. He died for your sins. And on the third day, He rose again, declaring victory over death, hell, and the grave. That's the gospel. And he said, if you believe that and you receive him as your Lord and Savior and confess him before men, he'll confess you before his Father in heaven. But if you don't, he won't. That's the gospel. Anything that compromises the gospel, we're going to talk about and hopefully not yell about. Because that's just immaturity. And I won't say I've never been there, but I'll say I've had to repent afterward. (laughs) Maybe that's you today. Maybe you need to come to know Jesus. I don't care if you've been in the church 80 years, nine years, two years, not at all. If you don't know Jesus, you're dead in your sins. We had a secretary once, and at the time I think she was... 81. And the pastor that I was serving under, he was saying, give me your personal testimonies. Let's talk about how to set that up. How were you before Christ? You met Jesus. You gave your life to Christ. How did you change? And she said, pastor, I've never done that. It just dawned on me. I've never done that. There was no change because there was no meeting. At 81 years old, she gave her life and her heart to Christ, secretary of the church. So it can be anybody. How about you today? Are you where you should be? If not, you need to cry out to Jesus and say, Jesus, help, I need you. Maybe you've been majoring on the minors and minoring on the majors. Well, you and God need to have some talks about that because I've been there too. So you need to pray about that as well. As we stand and sing the invitation hymn. If you want to join this church by letter, by statement, by baptism, or if you'd like pre- uh, special prayer, or if you'd like to meet Jesus, I'm up here at the front and I'll introduce you as we stand and sing the invitation song, hymn. Let's grab our hymn book and turn to page 316. 316.